Thanks for joining us for the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast, a podcast to enrich your soul, where we have conversations with inspiring people about all things property, business and life. And now, the host of Small Talk Big Ideas, Ian Ugarte. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. And today I bring in Keith Grisman, an amazing story from a very young age, just like myself, investing in property, all the way through to being a huge property developer, only to find himself in an insolvency position and to claw himself back into where he is today. A real example of how when you get to that position of uh, taking all the financials away from you, you can't take away what's in your head. Enjoy this episode and please subscribe and join us and follow us on any of the social media outlets. Keith Grisman. How are you, mate? Good. Where's that from? Uh, Russia. Russia. So dad's dad was a Russian Jew, fled during the revolution with his three brothers. They landed in Australia and two of them went, sorry, two brothers, three in total. Two of them went to the States and one stayed here. Right. So then that was so your second generation Australian. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I guess it depends which side you look at. <laughs> what was it? That's one side. What's the other side? Uh, largely English. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a there's a, a first free settler in in there somewhere. A shepherd from Kent was the book that that uh, we found with a bit of family history. Right. But um, yeah, kind of working class Australian family, with the exception of the the, the Russian immigrant. It's a white Australia, I think. I actually knew the first. I knew the firstborn seventh generation Australian. And so we must only be nine generations in mm. um, of white Australia anyway. Mm. Um, you're a property developer? Yeah, I don't really use the word developer. I don't like it. No. Investor? Um, well, as you probably know, I, I say property surfer because it sums the two, outside of my family, it sums up the two parts of my life. Um, but yeah, property entrepreneur is probably a better word. I mean, I'll, I'll look to value add. Mm. So I don't really care what it is, but if there's a value add in it, then, then I'm prepared to pull the puzzle apart. Started with the police? Yeah. Um, so finished high school and said... Oh, you lived in Sydney originally, didn't you? Sydney, yeah. With your parents? I did. Then um, they decided... Uh, well, I thought to get out of the rat race, but it, it turns out many years later we had a chat and they went, no, 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 that wasn't it. We wanted to get you and your sister out of Sydney because we thought there was more opportunity in Queensland. So it was opportunity. Yeah. I sort of got out of Sydney because it was just... I could just see your kids could have more opportunity to go off the rails. Um, there was a bit of that too, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the school that I was at, I think, um, held a famous title of second worst high school in New South Wales. Can't tell so us. Pretty, no, 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 we boys high school. No, we, right, okay. Randwick so, Boys High was pretty bad in its day too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So she was a tough school, but um, look, some some good friends and great people come mm. out of there. So, um, yeah, yeah, comes from everywhere. So they sold for 300 Well, um, so good property story, that. they um, Dad came first. A mate of his was up here, so he snagged a job. Um, he ended up um, staying with his mate at Burpengary and um, then they couldn't sell the house. They were on the market in Peakhurst in Sydney yep. for 180 Couldn't sell it. Uh, eventually... Um, uh, Dad went advance, mum and, uh, and my sister and I stayed in Sydney. When they couldn't sell it six months later, they rented it out. Then 12 months later, they sold it for 310 yeah. So that was the 85 to 88 peak, so yep, yep. Sydney Sydney almost doubled in three years. Yeah, I think they settled at the end of 88 in yeah. round figures. Yeah. So, yeah, so they went from selling out at 300-odd to building a brand-new four-bed, two-bath on a brand-new block of land on Bribey walking distance like 300 metres to the beach yep. for about $67,000. Yeah. Should add another two just yeah. to make it a round number. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> the I can just just fathom $67,000 including land. Including like land. At the moment you can buy there for four twenty. I think I saw a house and land out that way. Yeah, yeah I think um, that even the house that, uh, that, that uh, we built, so to speak, um, was about that number, mid-fours, I think. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Um, so you saw that your parents had bought and sold. Yeah, so in Sydney, um, mum and dad moved west from St. Susie, where both my grandparents were. Um, they went to um, Busby or Green Valley. Yep. 
lovely suburb. It was an interesting place to live. <laughs> but they bought an old block of land. Sorry, an old block of land. They bought a block of land, built a new house, mm-hmm. and um, literally did the bare minimum. So Dad was a tradie, an electrician. So he said to the builder, don't worry about painting, no carpet. We lived in a house and, and literally, you know, no landscaping, no driveways. Same as me. Grew up stuff. in an unfinished yeah. house. And uh, every weekend we proceeded to finish it. And mm-hmm. I say we because I was on the end of a shovel that, on, yeah, on occasion. Um, but... Yeah, I guess I learnt the best way by just being immersed in it and watching. Yep. And and they didn't really ever talk to me about it or preach. I just saw them do it. Then so you've got a sister, you said, as well? A sister, younger. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's six years younger. Yeah. And so um, you come up here, you do school, finish school? Yeah, come up in 88, did grade 10, and then 11 and 12 at Bribey High. And, uh, yeah, off to the police. Worked for the police for three years. I did. What didn't you only there for three? That's still well. For some people, they don't last a year. Mm. You lasted three. Mm. What didn't you like about that? Uh, it was more they didn't like me. <laughs> uh, never been great at being told what to do. Um, really enjoyed it, and again met some fantastic people, like lots and lots that mm. I'm still very close friends with to this day. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I guess maybe the entrepreneur was bubbling away inside of me. But um, yeah, look. Things happen for a reason. What did you do coming out of that? Lost the plot a little bit. Yeah, I was a bit disillusioned. I kind of travelled around Australia for a little while. I ran a farm in Tasmania, a and b and some some cattle. Where about um, uh, Just south of Launceston. Mm-hmm. So um, it's an old convict-built homestead built in 1887 or something. It's a beautiful property oh, down yeah, there. Was, I'd, I'd, if it wasn't Christine, I'd live down there. Yeah. It's just too cold. Oh, totally the same. So Mel, my wife, is German, as you know, so she's supposed to like the cold, hates it. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time in Tassie. I lived there for kind of for nine months and mm. just travelled around in bits and pieces in between yeah, and yeah. then ended up back here um, in property. You love surfing. I do, yeah. Everything you do is based around surfing. Yeah, um, well, it saved my life a few times. Um, uh, but learned to surf in Sydney. And um, then one of the reasons that dad got me here, because I thought as a teenager that I had some control and I was going to stay behind as they came north. Mm. And uh, he showed me a map of Bribey Island and said, look, there's the beach and there's waves. <laughs> he didn't tell me Morton Island was outside of it. Yeah, I guess. So it's, there's some waves when the ferry goes past. <laughs> so I got there and turned up and I'm like, it's flat, Dad. <laughs> Yeah, my dad was good like that. Good paddling out yeah. that, the other side. But but we managed to get enough done there. Yeah. Kept me in, kept me interested. Yeah. Because that's the thing. I mean, we came up when my eldest was 14, 15 maybe, um, and it was it was just probably a year to two late mm-hmm. um, for her. I mean, it all, everyone settled, but it was just that I don't want to go sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and especially, I don't know if you had a girlfriend at the time, but mm, that would I have did. been. You did. Yeah. You left her behind. Yeah, I did. Yeah, but we're best of mates today. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she married another friend of mine, and and they have two amazing kids, and and I see them several times a year. We're, awesome. we're great friends. Yeah. yeah, great. So you come up here, you wander around, a bit lost, and then you get into property. What's the first thing you do? Because you bought a place at seventeen. While I was at the academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I uh, attended a government auction, and um, convinced Dad to lend me the deposit. And bought a block of land in Coolum for thirty-two and a half thousand dollars at auction, and I was seventeen, and no one told me that you had to be eighteen to buy it. Oh right! But the government vendor financed it, so no one ever asked the well, question. That's how they used to do it. Yeah, they used to vendor finance everything. I know it was great, and you had to make your first payment a year later. That's not bad. Yeah. So, um, in, value. In, in theory, I saved for the next year. Yeah. But then, of course, a bit like a uni assignment, you get to the end and, and you're like, oh, I'm a bit short here. Yeah. And my budget was $20 difference from cost to um, making the payments up. But I knew I graduated, so I got a little lump sum as I graduated to right. make the payment. And then just before I, I kind of realised I was going to be a bit short, I went to an agent and I said, how much do you think we can sell this for? And um, when I walked into the agency, the lady on the counter said, oh, rentals are that way. Yeah. I said, no, no, I'm that way. That was, that, that was an interesting lesson that yeah, I've never yeah. forgotten, that judgment. And um, anyway, he got a contract for 47 and a half and from the government. Well, the government buying it back. Housing Commission buying it back. <laughs> and um, so I'm like, this is pretty good. But it turned out that they wouldn't buy it because they already had one in the street and at that stage they'd only have had a rule one in the street. Yep. So uh, I then walked that contract off, just completely dumb luck fumbling my way, I walked it into the Queensland Police Credit Union 
and said, uh, can I get some money to pay the government out? And I don't know, somehow I came up with a scheme to borrow some more money to build a house and build mm-hmm. a house on it. So, so yeah, so you basically took like what we do nowadays, we, if we can get the right lender valuation in, this is what it's worth, will you give me X amount? Yeah, and as yeah. you know, the rules then were a little bit different. Easier. And a bit easier, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so ended up with a product that owed about 80, and I think on completion it was 136 from memory. And how old were you then? I was 18 then. 18 at that point. Yeah, and I did a little bit of what I'd watched Dad do. So I said, don't worry about the driveway, don't worry about the landscaping. We painted it ourselves, so I got some mates up. I think the cost of the house paint was three cartons of beer. We slept on the floor for a couple of nights, and I'd take them down the RSL at Coolham, and we we had good fun. Yeah. The driveway's still there. It's the worst driveway I've ever seen in your life. It's like this, but it's still there. It's done. It's still there, It's still there. It's still still there. there. It hasn't fallen away. I was actually just listening to a story um, just then about a guy who um, put up a post. I had a – it was holding a sign saying, I just want beer money, put it in my bank account, right? So anyway, all – it got shared all over America and this guy ended up with a million bucks in his (laughs) bank account, right? So then he donated it to – to a charity that was to go, I want I want beer money to go and watch football or something, the footy. And so he ended up donating it to the children's hospital across the road from the stadium. Anyway, some reporter just sort of decided to do some investigating and he'd been on, um, he'd been on uh, Tosh's show and he'd done some tweets that were racist, right? So this reporter called him out on it. Um, and he got a he got a hammering, and he apologised publicly. Anyway, so then someone investigated the reporter, and the reporter had done some racist tweets and lost his job. So fuck you, you bastard, <laughs> you little asshole. Um, so anyway, I don't know how I got there, but um, okay. So now you got your first house. You are living in it. No, I uh, rented it out from day one. So other than the first few nights where we slept on the floor yeah, yeah. drinking beer, yeah. no, rented it out and never lived in it at all. Then about. Three years later, there um, is. <laughs> oh, that's him. The beer money. Yep, and he got called out for it. A lucky cheeky grin. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so four years later, after police was working with a um, a land developer. I guess would be the best way to describe them. And um, you know, they used the advertising system, selling land on the fringe. I didn't particularly like it. They're a bit like a Meyer Realty or a Washington Developments used yep. to be back in the day. And um, I approached them to buy a block. So I bought a block off them, did the same thing. And you are working for them? I was working for Doing them. Doing what? Uh, selling. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so they, they kind of set up a front of house. It was a real estate agency. It looked yep. like a suburban agent, but yep. your job was to sell that. Yep. I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about process uh, and sales, but also learned a lot about what I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and the advertising system that's implemented in selling, as you know, um, to me is just not straight up. So, but... Out of that came a bunch of experience and a block of land that I bought with, um, you know, a pretty substantial discount. Yeah. So I built a house on that. So that was number two. And then um, number three, by the time I was about 24, was up here on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, it was a duplex. And so. living in any of those? No. Or uh, rentals? It was, it was number four property, I guess you'd say. I mean, the, the third the one had, had two on it. <laughs> so it was the one after that. Yeah. Um, which funnily enough was completely unvalued in the sense that it was a waterfront unit at Alex looking over the surf right? and um, and still paid 160 you know, I, I look at those there because there's those on your way down the hill from a little bar to Alex on the left there's those brown, that's that brown building. It wasn't one of those, was it? Uh, yeah, it was pretty much, it wasn't the that one. The ones on the angles? Yeah, yeah, but it's about three down from that. Yeah, the right. building was called Tawari, yeah, yeah. so I used to call it Notta. Like I look at those little units, bottom floor, grassed area, straight mm. across the road from mm. the beach, mm. and I, I go three fifty, four hundred. And like I, I'd have, I'd be happy to have an office there. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it'd be worth yeah. spending four hundred k just to sit across the road yeah. from the beach. Yeah, it's just the body corpse. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth, fourth level of government of Australia. Yeah, yeah, and the, the control corporate. because you know yeah. Airbnb would be awesome there, but I'm sure they control that as well. Yeah. So you're now reasonably young, a decent portfolio, and your friends got properties at this stage. Um, not really. No. No, I tried. Um, I'm similar to me, you know, start to build this portfolio around you at a very young age and you look at all your friends and they're all still at uni or still, or still traveling, um, or still pissing it up every weekend Mm. and you go, God, guys, what are you doing? I think it's the same no matter what the age is. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've had lots of people say, Hey, give me some property advice. How do I get started? And, Mm. And I must've had, I don't know, 500 of those conversations and let less than 
oh, it wouldn't even be 10%. It'd be 2% actually do anything. And, yep. and oh, you know, it'd be one of those things that I'd like to try and work out before I die why it is. Is it is it fear? Because there's definitely elements of fear. Is it laziness? Is it procrastination? Anyway, that's everyone's different, right? So you start building your... Um Start building a portfolio. You're young. You drive off. So, you, what are you doing? When do you become full time? What point do you become full time? Um, so, in my twenties. So, after I got to the Sunshine Coast, or how I got to the Sunshine Coast in terms of living here, um, there was a little. Remember those classifieds? Does everyone know what classifieds are? <laughs> <laughs> classified in I'm the sure paper. Darren can bring up an yeah, image a of what a classified yeah. looks like. And so a job. Right. So you put an ad in. The no, no, I read a job ad, and uh, I don't remember anything that it said except that it said. To, was that next to the massage erotic massage classified? Yeah, yeah. It said Sunshine Coast and property. <laughs> yeah, so right. I'm like, all right, I'll um I'll go and interview for it and. I won't bore you with the details, but long story short. That's what classifieds used to yeah, look like in, go. a, in so a good it was, old days. It was, it was one of those. Yeah, right. It wasn't the general manager one, although I probably did apply for that. <laughs> yes. There's something with a mortgage. <laughs> Student in loans, I was probably reading that. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> so I remember, so I, I won't bore you with the details, but I got the job. And I remember driving up the first day. It was at, the building is still there over next to the Horton Park Golf Club, the old Horton Park Golf Club, it's yeah, not yeah. there anymore. And I parked in the car park. I remember getting out of the car, grabbing my briefcase, putting a jacket on. I remember thinking to myself, I've got no frigging idea what this job is. But there I was. I knew it was in property. And like I knew it was every on job I turned up to yeah. as well. So um, three directors of a commercial property business and they taught me commercial agency. That's not, and that's a good skill set to have under your belt. Yeah, completely, completely lucky. Three lovely guys. Unfortunately, they ended up kind of two eight one, the other one ate the other one. But... They taught me commercial property. And as silly as it sounds, I mean, I'd been a policeman. I'd, you know, I'd run a different, like, you know, as I mentioned, run a B&B for a while then it has the bits and pieces. But I didn't really even think that, I didn't even know that commercial property was a class. I didn't know anything about it. Yep. I mean, didn't even think about the fact that it was a shop I was going to. Yep. So um, uh, I, they taught me that. And what they also used to do was small-scale development. So they would, um, Sunshine Coast growing, they would get inquiry where someone would want a red shed with a green door and it didn't exist. So then they would go and find a block of land and then they would design it and get it built. In commercial. In commercial. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, one of those directors was a builder and two of them were, I guess, two of the best commercial agents at the time. This is this is early to mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And so but, but they uh, taught me, I watched, and about four years later I, um, best described, bought the last partner out. Um, you bought them out. Yeah, well, it was a bit complicated. Sure. You slept with his wife. Uh, no, it was probably, no. Anyway, let's just say. You slept like, with him no. and he got it cheaper. Well, I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, Keep it cheap. Oh, he, he, he had a little bit of drama. Yeah, yeah. So there was me and another guy who I'm friends with to this day. He's still a commercial agent on the coast. We basically said to him, okay, we think it's time that you pulled up stumps and we'll take it from here. We did that almost instantly. We merged it with another guy who was out of the city who did big transactions typically. Yep. And we became, the, the I, I guess, the, the busiest, the best, whatever you want to call it, commercial agency in town. So you're selling and, and also leasing agents as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, David and I, we did the day-to-day what we call brokerage and then Jerry would do kind of the big ticket stuff. Yep. And that business is now the Savills business on the Sunshine Coast. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so you sold that eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happened was it was private, and then Savills Australia, Savills International, took it over after I'd left. Right. But okay. um, but then while I was there, I was you know doing value add in the same way that the three guys had taught me. So I'd get a tenant requirement. So lots of super cheap autos on the coast, lots of subways, you know, a few mm. McDonald's, all those sorts of things. So so when the building didn't exist, I mean, even industrial stuff, we did a couple yeah. of brambles type banks and mm. bits and pieces in industrial estate. So I did tech drawing at school. So I just knew that you could draw, draw stuff, stuff that didn't exist. I watched dad build a couple of houses, you know. So I just kind of inherently understood it. So Council a bit easier to work with. Yeah. Then. So design and construct, they, yeah, they were. I mean, really, there was no planning then. It was literally just BA type process. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until Integrated Planning Act came in in about 2000 that things started to really get complicated. Yeah, sure. So I was just lucky enough that I was in, you know, a few of the right places, I guess. I was lucky enough that I was just born with an observant mind and, and you know, I was in the right place at the right time watching a few people. So, 
I had the super cheap auto founder in one of my events, actually. Was that Reg? Yeah, Reg mm. Rogan. He's a lovely guy. Yeah. Mm. Um, started selling battery chargers out of a garage. In an old service station. Yeah, interesting story. And I saw him speak once and, like, really humble. Won't. Yeah. Um, yep. Good old Reg won't. He won't um, fly other, other than economy class. Mm-hmm. Refuses to fly business. Yep. Shitty old car. And when, before they did the IPO, good old Reg, before they did the IPO, he, um, they just refused to, he refused to open up another super cheap order unless he owned the land and, the, and built the building. And um, so they said, look, Reg, you want to grow, you want an IPO, you're going to have to, you're going to have to start renting because I don't want to do it. So, but then they, the board convinced him that that's the way they went. And look at them now. I mean, and then they go and sponsor Bathurst. Yeah. Like that's a perfect like fit, a, right? You know, he actually said people think I own the Bathurst, you know, track. Like, yes, no. But he's done all of those commercials along the lake near the hospital. Yeah. So all he those commercial buildings. And he, and he yeah. owns the car park as well. Yeah. Um, I think he did $140 million worth of profit last year in, in property. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually asked him the question, you know, what – there's some really nice buildings there. Like the car park doesn't look like a car park. I said, your design? He goes, no, don't be stupid. I just get the right people in the right places that know more than I do to do what yeah. I have to do. You know? yeah. So, so yeah, okay, so now you get to the point where um, you – what year are you at when you sell Oh, uh, So I'm a commercial agent through the back end of my 20s and then I guess uh, at 30 I had 30 properties. So I kind of went from four – let's call it 25 and you know the effect of compounding we hear it all the time as the eighth wonder of the world and and you know compounding can happen in many ways in learning in effort all sorts of things so for me in property and and also what had happened is the GST and the GFC you know that period I call it between the G's you know in the early 2000s you know that was a pretty interesting time so I had properties double and double again so um but at 30 I started a property management business, which was really simple. Our property manager was shirking on periodics. You know, properties were deteriorating. And um, at that stage, I think management fees per property were about a thousand bucks. A property manager's wage is about a thousand bucks. So 30 properties, you know, do the math. And I went, oh, I'll just start one myself. And, you know, that that business is so that business that. that business looked after your properties, and then you just added added other, yeah, other properties. Friends and friends of friends, and you know, kind yeah. of grew organically from there. Right. Yeah. So you then go in and you hit the GFC. How do you go through there? Shit ass. Yeah. Um, there's a little period that's worth mentioning before that, and that is that at um, 2000, roughly, I jumped from commercial agency into kind of full-time development. So because we used to do a bit of design and construct in the agency, we became pretty popular, yep. whereas, you know, lots of builders and say, well, can you bring us the next tenant? Can you bring us the next deal? So I called it doing agency on a platter. Mm-hmm. And what we found out is that you get paid to sell the land for whoever owned it. You get paid for the tenant introduction, normally a bigger upfront fee, and then you get paid to sell the building at the end because normally the builder or developer wants to get the capital out to go to the next one. Yep. And then if we we're lucky, we'd manage it. So we get paid three to four times on one transaction. Mm-hmm. And, of course, builders and developers would want to be our friends. So um, I worked with a couple and there was one client in particular who you know, we had a really good relationship with. So long story short, I'd had enough of agency one day and and uh, went and joined them. And, and you know, together w- w- we had a, a pretty lucky ride like after the – the GST was introduced, and from 2000 to 2006, I think we went from I don't know, from memory, 40 or 50 million dollars worth of work to you know over a billion dollars worth of work, and probably the key measure was staff. You know, from eight staff, I think I was eighth on board. 130, you know, five, six odd years later. So, yeah. pretty big business. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, and based here on the Sunshine Coast, so you know, perfect place to live. I got to 33, and um, and that was a pretty all-consuming role. Um, I was development director, and you know, there, there was a lot to do, big hours, and uh, it was hard to get some life balance. So mm. I opted out and retired. And at that stage, I probably had I don't know 50 odd properties. So I just continued to leapfrog the equity. And, and always kind of kept an eye on, you know, LVRs and cash flow. Yeah, so, ha- so LVRs were sitting on those 50 properties? Or- well, pre-GFC, my LVRs were probably about 55 60%. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's pl- plenty of criticism to be thrown around for overgearing and going too hard, and, you know, I'll cop that. But the reality is the LVR was was actually pretty conservative. But even like a 50-55, that's a low LVR yeah. for, you know, for 
an investor that's in their early period yes. of life, yes. right? And then they're in their accumulation phase. Yeah. And you sort of basically, what you're saying is that you'd accumulated and you were quite happy where you were, yep. backed out of the business. Yeah. I got got to a point where I felt that, that I had enough to do in my own world, as well as, as I say, you know, life balance was hard. I was 12-hour days, you know, six days a week. Married, so, single? Yeah, um, I married, my first marriage is about that same time. Yeah, so right. 2001, I think it was, something like that, 2002. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Kids out of that? Yes, but later on. Right. Yeah. And so significant business, you back out, low LVR, you're doing developments when the GFC hits? or? Uh, yeah, but... Again, probably more value adds. I mean, I, you know, again, most people call them developments, but but, but a slight nuance to that. Like it, when I was working in the development business, that was hardcore development in the sense that we'd find a site, we'd build it ourselves, etc. Yeah. Whereas at 33, when I retired, I was kind of looking for things that, you know, particularly like renovating and adding value and those sorts of things. So you're not talking majors, like... Um so in the business, were you doing land subdivisions at all? Or yeah, we did land subdivisions. In terms of things that people would know, the Maroochydore, uh, the, the original CBD, so Ocean Street, Jupeworth Avenue, yep. we did most of the high-rises right. there. So okay. Aurora, Platinum, M1, yep. we did those buildings. Amalgamated the big top site to have happen what's there now. Yep. Out at Chancellor Park where the Woolworths is, there's the tavern, the showrooms. Were these for clients or for your own company? No, we would bring investors in right. um, <clears throat> and, uh, and then we would we would share them and, yep. and, and sell them. And so, but outside of that, on your own, and I think you're much like me, I'd much rather do 20 duplexes than a 40-lot subdivision. Yeah, well, Graham Junior said it to me beautifully once. He said, "You know, people look at us. We're, you know, the same. At that time, we're both doing high rises and various bits and pieces. And you go, you know, and you, you get, I suppose, some attention and some fame from the advertising that goes along. You don't necessarily yeah. look for that, but then you sell them down. So, you know, in M one, for example, we sold 70, 70 units out of seventy six in four hours in one night, and then you shoot yourself for eighteen months, and so they're all going to settle." <laughs> <laughs> There's a huge amount of risk in those projects, yeah, and yeah. and and the guys that make the money there, they provide lots of infrastructure spending, and um and you know the the the, the people that undertake those developments take lots of risk, and they deserve all the profits they get. Yeah, because it's not only just the contract going through; it's also finishing under budget without any extras, because you know you get one little missed detail in a scope somewhere. I remember when I was going through TAFE become a plumber one of the guy's jobs he was a mature guy he would work he worked for one plumbing company and his job was to go around and just find the extras and there was a project there where it might have been an eight hundred thousand dollar contract and he found a million dollars of extras on top of the eight hundred thousand he just goes yeah. ridiculous right? good friend of mine don moffat that you should meet don did a uh, joint venture with kerry packer down in uh, Caloundra on Gemini towers and got to the end of the project and where's the money for the ovens Go looking through the scope, the quantity surveyor had Nothing. missed ovens. <laughs> and how many were there? Oh, there was 300 or something. <laughs> yeah. It was a big project. It's just a little bit of a little this short. Is in, this is in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah, it can, it can happen easy. I mean, look, unfortunately, there's going to be lots of people in those shoes right now. You know, the market has turned on what no one really would have expected mm. and all of a sudden some great decisions, some great properties, some great projects, some good financing all of a sudden will turn to shit. This has given you experience now for what happened back then. So what did happen to GFC when the GFC hit? Largely speaking, the banks withdrew credit en masse. And, um, and you know, I took it personally for a long time because the effects are personal. But, you know, it's not I, just you, Branson, as well. Yeah. Yeah, as well, he, so. he didn't call me to tell me what happened to him. But, <laughs> I was but, just talking to him the other day. <laughs> no name dropping. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I had one of the big four call me and say, oh, you know, that facility, a million-dollar facility, well, uh, we're not going to extend it. I go, oh, okay. And other banks so had done have that all, leading did up. Did you have all your lending with one bank or you no, had multiple? No, lending? no, no, so you, spread around. You were, so, sp- you were smart to spread. Yep, I was I was smart to spread, but there's some downsides of that too. And they said, oh, well, we're not going to extend that facility. I'm like, oh, okay, because other banks had done that. Like Suncorp, for example, were in commercial finance. Well, Suncorp they, almost sent a couple of developers under. Yeah, well, they exited and they rang me a year before this roughly, and said, we're exiting. I'm like, okay. And, they, and I said, well, well what are we got to do? Refinance, how long we got? A year, but lo- probably longer if you need. And we've refinanced out to someone else in six months. So when this call came through, I was expecting something similar. And they said, no, no, we'll be at your office at nine o'clock in the morning for a check. I'm like, oh, I'll just get the million dollar check out of the door. 
Anyway, th- that's kind of the best way to describe that time. It was um, certainly nothing that anyone expected. And so did they call them in? Yeah. And what do you have to sell? Sorry? You have to sell? Yeah, well, I did a systematic sell down, you know, like uh, uh, the, the best way to describe it is that I spent three or four years trying to save the house. Um, when I say the house, I don't mean literally the home house. I mean everything. So, you know, the house of cards analogy is a pretty good one. But there was fires just going off everywhere. Yeah. And and at the time, I didn't necessarily know exactly why. And as I say, it felt very personal. But um, ultimately, banks were ruining our balance sheets to fix theirs. And, you know, it's only since doing lots of reading that I know that the European credit swap markets ran out of money, that European markets had all their money in the States and we got our money from there. And our banks turned up and there was no money and, 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 and that filtered down. Yeah. And, and so that that's another danger that can happen right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I just I, I worry about paying back two hundred trillion. Yeah. Um, billion, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, so you managed to survive. Um, Physically. Yeah. Hmm. So I presume that one of those moments at surfing saved your life was during that time. Yeah. So the GFC, I guess, for me, it started in 07. So if I go back to the retirement 33 thing, it was 2006. And I had a blissful six months. I was surfing every day. I was playing with my properties in the afternoon. I was in heaven. And then I watched the US market meltdown. And um, and the funny thing is when you look back at it, you know, that was several years before the real GFC happened in Australia. And so for me, I realised then, well, I thought I realised that, that we were in some trouble and we needed to start. So I started taking steps then. So you saw it before it hit? Well, I mean, I was watching CNBC, so I don't know that I saw it before. It wasn't like I forecast it. I was just like, I think this is going to cause us a great deal of drama. So well before that phone call from the big four saying we'll have our check back, I I was taking massive action beforehand. What was it, selling or? Yeah, yeah, largely selling, trying to, you know, reduce debt, fix it in bits Mm -hmm. and pieces. And and the the biggest issue was the commercial debt that I carried. So so I say to people now that if I'd have just stuck to residential, which up till, let's say, 30 or 35 properties was all resi, even though I was a commercial agent. I didn't want to compete with my clients, so that was one reason I stayed out. But also you could gear up easier to keep going on resi than you could on commercial. So... But if I'd have stayed in Resi up till GFC, I'd have been GF White. I don't know what you're talking about. Yep. But the commercial debt was the debt that got called in. And, and I get people ring often for advice about buying properties. And I say to them, do you know what a commercial loan contract actually is? Effectively, it's they'll, I'll get the money back anytime they want. No, it's not. My lawyer says this. And I go, well, all they have to do is order a revaluation or do an income appraisal. And if they're changed, they can call you in. And yep, they'll run you through the bad boys club in the bank and da 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 But ultimately, if they want their money back on a commercial contract, yep. they're getting it back. You know, we don't, we have commercial property, but majority of it, we do have some standalone commercials, but they're all being converted to resi-mercial and yep. any other stuff we yep. do have is resi-mercial yes. as well. Yep. So there's a residential yep. component, but still a commercial loan. But, yes. So there's exposure there, yep. whichever way you look at it. And, you know, I, I go out there and there's a whole bunch of property educators going, commercial, go commercial. It's just where to go. And, and I, I, other than SDA and NDIS, the highest risk property that I would always see is commercial. Mm-hmm. I now think that's been trumped by SDA and NDIS in the short term. Mm-hmm. But I look at commercial, I go just like high, higher deposits, so lower LVRs, tenants that are there for three by three by three, but they're buys like at the end of two and a half years, you know, they, they ring you two years, 11 months or whatever it is. They say, nah, we're out. You've got to, you know, and they talk about the, because the outgoings are paid and all of this sort of stuff, it's positive cash flow. But what happens when there's no tenant? Like you don't have a lineup of tenants ready to move into a purpose built building, you know? Yeah. Well, having been a commercial agent for quite some time, I know what vacancy looks like. I know how to go about filling it and I know how you want to try and fill it and you can't. But, yeah, I mean, look, most commercial property is not national tenants. Most of it is, let's call it mum and dad tenants or variations, yep. you know, through that spectre. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, look, something can happen in their lives or someone in their family's life and all of a sudden that well, affects Something can happen again. globally. I, so, yeah, look, it's not um, – so we're not currently invested in any property – uh, commercial property, sorry. And going forward, it would take either complete cash purchase or 
as close as that it doesn't matter for me yeah. to go back to commercial property. We were talking about this the other day. You know, it's getting to the point where you sort of self-fund yourself for everything. And the more you can self-fund, the better off you are. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yep. and if anything, very, very low LVRs. Yeah. And then that comes with tricks, you know, because, you know, we get taught other people's money, leveraging and those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. finding that balance. And, and for me now that that's, you know, residential provides less of a risk return um, scenario than than some of the other options. Is it the perfect one? Is it the right one? Look, for me, it's what makes the most sense. So, Because you know your cost of living. Your cost of living has to be X amount, and so why go hard if you know that you can sustain that for the rest of your life mm. at a decent level mm. of living? So you manage to scrape through. At what point in time? So your portfolio goes down to saving the house? No. Well, so first of all, correct you, I didn't survive. No, no, I was destroyed. Right. Um, so I, I guess the... The best way to describe it is that I fought and I fought and I fought and, um, uh, and you know, in the end I lost the battle. In hindsight, so, would you have fought it? Just let it go under? No, I don't think so. Look, I I try to live by an adage of not die wondering and, you know, some things you've got to say no to, of course. But mm. uh, w- would I do things differently? Yes. But, I mean, that's easy to say in hindsight and reflection, right? But, no. The, the, the one thing I often think about is at some point should I have just thrown a backpack on and headed off and came back after meltdown. Yeah. And that's pretty compelling, right? Like the idea of that. But, you know, the, the practical reality is that, I mean, for a start, I, I was married and I had business partners in some of these properties. So it wasn't always just about me. Mm. You know, I had some staff in some of our businesses and, and, you know, then fast forward to 2010 and I had a child. So the backpack was pretty appealing and the idea of it was good and, so I do have some people who are in strife and I, I try and help them analyse where they're at and for some of them they're young enough, I say, you know Grab what? backpack. Yeah. <laughs> See you soon. Exactly. You've done quite a few recently, quite a few. You're evaluating again. Yeah. What what year was the low point? Where so when I say low point, what was the, what was the point of needing to crawl back out again? Well, I call it the lost decade. But in reality, it was probably five years. So, um, look, I know you've written a book. I haven't. But if I have a title of a book, it's called Epic Failure. Because in 2010, I, uh, my son came along. That's not the failure part. But what happened after that was, so between 2010 and 2015, insolvency, bankruptcy, divorce, family court and my ex-wife and I get on great and we we, we co-parent so the our divorce, child. And- divorce, so the the insolvency added to the divorce or was it going to happen anyway? I don't think insolvency and bankruptcy ever helped divorce. But um, look, we I think we both can see now we were just mismatched. Yeah. And, and ultimately the reason that we split was that it was best for our son to live in two happy households rather than one well, unhappy happy. one. Hmm. So, um, yeah, also during that phase, both my parents died, multiple cancer um, in the family. So, you know, it was a pretty horrendous time. And, uh, and frankly, th- there was a time that I'm not proud of, but nonetheless, it's reality. And, you know, I attempted suicide. So it was, it was a horrible, horrible five years. So the, the epic failure part isn't about celebrating epic failure. It's about, um, for me, like, as I say, if, if there's a book in me down the track, it's about how things can be completely shit and, mm. and you can find a way and, and ultimately it can come back together. Yeah, I mean, there's always that ability to find gratitude in some point. A year ago, we did that recording about thinking positive, you know. Um, you and I know a woman that keeps on there, just think positive. What the fucking fuck are you talking about, you know? Mm. It's, it's easy to say think positive, yep. but it's a very different thing when down in a hole. Um, yes. and, and I think people lack empathy for that yep. point in time for some, for yep. other people anyway. Yep. There's, a, there's a great video that I watched I don't know, 500 times there, you might be able to find it. It's called Inch by Inch, and it's a clip out of an Al Pacino film called Any Given Sunday. Yeah. And there'd be some days where I literally just couldn't drag myself out of bed and I watched that clip. Yeah. Don't put it on, I'll start crying. <laughs> but, um, but That's but, where he's talking in the locker room. Yep, it's yep. where he's in the locker room and he talks about how he's a middle-aged man and he's basically buggered everything up. And, and uh, so, you know, Sometimes help comes from strange places, right? Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, that yeah. that's the one yeah. there where, and and I've seen that quite a number of times myself as well. You know, and just yeah, give that little every extra inch. Very, you know? very, very powerful acting, yeah. um, but um, and a more, more so powerful message. So yeah. so when people do ring and they're in a bit of strife, I, I must if, if I could sell that clip. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's another three properties in it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you get to 2015. So so attempted suicide. Yep. Yeah. And so unsuccessful and so this may be a really harsh question and I've been through that process myself. Unsuccessful because you wanted to be unsuccessful? Yeah. It's funny to describe. Well, funny is not the word, but and I um, know I, I I can't describe it. Yeah, um, look, I'm more than happy to talk about it because I think that it, you know, well, I talk about it because hopefully it'll help others. But I didn't set about to do it, so this will sound really odd, but it was effectively an accident, but it was a genuine attempt. Now, why did that happen? The best way I can think to describe it is I just needed out of the pain. The pain was just so intense and and some of those things that I described hadn't happened yet. But, you know, the, the, the part that really shits me about the fact that I did that is that I had a son. He was less than two. And that was what, like, that's what, what got me. What the me. fuck? That's the selfishness part of it. And, and to add to... Add to my situation, I was going to do it in a way where it left so many un- unanswered questions. And I, I look back now and I go, oh, man, that would have been horrendous for the people around me. The people, you know, as much pain as I was in, I look back now and I think how much pain that would have inflicted to other people. And interesting, I was, uh, there's a security guard that on the Golden Gate Bridge and he had talked down hundreds of people. And he said that he'd lost, I think he'd lost 11 over a span of 15 years or something that wow. had jumped. Three of them survived. And the three he went and visited the, in the hospital and he asked all three of them once they were better, would you have done it again? And all three of them said exactly the same thing. The second I stepped off, I knew it was the wrong thing to do. Mm. Like how? Like what a fucked way to find out. Thankfully they survived. But and people just don't understand how you can go from here to there very quickly and without thinking because there's no thinking that's happening. Yeah. The first day I was a policeman, I pulled a jumper out of the river and and I thought about that. I, thought, I wondered about, you know, and, and, you know, as a young pop then, I was 18 years old, you know, first day of being a copper and, and, and probably that should have had a hell of a lot more effect on it on, on me than it did but uh, you know when you're outside of it even if you've been there I think once you've been there you can understand it very very differently and I'll say that about financial stress I'll say that about divorce I'll say that about almost any significantly negative experience that you might have got close but you can't relate to someone who's actually been through it and so I sadly always prick an ear whenever I hear about you know, a suicide or attempted suicide because I'm always seeking to try and think about what they were thinking about, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't think I've ever heard, and I'm sure it's happened countless times, but I don't think I've ever heard of anyone kind of accidentally trying to commit suicide. But that's the best way that I can yeah. think to describe how it happened. Mm-hmm. I didn't set about to do it, but I definitely did it. I have the scars to prove it, both mental and, mental and physical, so for people to kind of judge others about being selfish or, or various bits and pieces, there's so much going on. And, and for me, there was just an immense amount of pain that I worked my frigging butt off to try and solve and, and I just couldn't solve it. And I kind of got to, I think, what is almost a bit of the key, which is in life we attribute, we, I don't think we all attribute enough to control so our ability to control our day, our ability to control the little things like the shirt we wear or whatever the hell it is. So, you know, one of the things now in my goals and my practice of gratitude is that I appreciate that I now have control over my life. What if you don't have that control? Yeah, you find it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I practiced during that and, you know, the practice starts up subconsciously, it starts because... You do something, it feels a bit better than, you, than you know, trying to find. I've always been quite analytical, so mm-hmm. I, I worked hard at finding ways to, to make things better, to get out of the drama, all that sort of stuff. And um, so practising gratitude is an obvious one. We had a couple specific, specific, I'll get it out eventually, things that we used to do. Yeah, it's, you know, finding a way, right? So when was that? What year? That was um, 2011. Mm-hmm. So when's the revival as far as, you know, insolvency happens through to 2015? Uh, insolvency was 11 to 14. Right. Mm. And then what do you do? What's your first move? 
during that time, I had a couple of had a couple of business partners steal from me, and it's complicated to explain. But basically, they were in charge of things that they owned and I owned, and they saw it as all theirs. So I had a bit of tidying up to do. So um, what was next? I guess during that three years, lots of self-analysis. What are you going to do? Um, as you probably know, I have a collection of surfboards. Mm-hmm. Um, people go, well, when did this start? And I go, well, I started collecting surfboards when I couldn't collect property. <laughs> so it kept me distracted. <laughs> yes, that's fair enough. And, you know, when you find a surfboard for 50 bucks in gum tree, it's not an expensive habit. So um, so I, you're working as well at this yeah, time? Yeah, I was working. So I was largely speaking back in commercial agency. So... And that started when I had some commercial property that was empty as the GFC was kind of gearing up, kind of felt then a bit like it does now, mm-hmm. hard to find a tenant empty space. And we had a property management business that managed primarily residential but also some commercial. And And the thought process was to turn back on the commercial agency part to get some income to find myself some tenants. So, so even though there was less tenants around, but, yeah. but you had a obviously a bulk load of supply Yes. Um, but you just needed demand, so you yeah. specialised in finding I mean, a demand. Yeah, well, a lot of the time commercial tenants, I mean, even if they're moving from where they are to, to a new premises, it's a problem-solving scenario. So what is it that they need? Can you provide it? You know, can you find a middle ground? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, did that, did that for a while, I guess, kind of started to rebuild, so to speak. Yep. Mm. So first property back in as far as ownership? Block of land, build a duplex, and so that was a straight out purchase. It wasn't, it was any deal done in there. No, not really. Uh, I mean, I think when 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 we kind of first remet, you know, a year or so ago, you said, "Oh, you're the duplex guy," and the reason for the duplexes is largely it's residential, so it's um, a much easier form of debt, better leverage, you know, that, than some of the uh, the alternatives, and also, you know. If I go back to that period in my 20s, most of those first 30 houses of mine, I built them. And not as a builder built them, but as a project yep. manager built them. And my philosophy was always the value add being 1 plus 1 equals 2.2. So I just kind of went back to that. Yep. And so a duplex was a good way of, you'd say, halving your land costs. But as you know, in reality, you kind of get two blocks for the price of one. Now, it's not exactly that on a metric, but yeah, it's... But it still goes yeah, pretty close. Right. exactly. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's a, it's the perfect strategy. We've been doing that since day dot almost, mm, you know. They're great. Um, because people are... Now, people are cottoning onto it. The problem is that people cotton onto it via a marketer and they, they go and sell 400 of them in Toowoomba and all of a sudden they're worth less at the back end of it also. With no analysis on... Um, on cost price and no analysis on tenant market, yeah. rental incomes, rent no guarantees. No analysis on the fact that Clive Berghoffer owns half of Toowoomba and, you know, that sort of stuff. Like I look at here and you've heard me talk about it before, you know, you fly in on an aeroplane and you can see hundreds and hundreds of acres of land ready to be chopped up. Like are you really going to get any value out of that, you know? Yeah, I, I think what is the worst part about that to me is kind of what the state government sought to clamp out in the early 2000s, which is the White Shoe Brigade. So, you know, you've got accountants and financial advisors or people pretending to be financial advisors taking thirty dollars to $50,000 commissions. I mean, anyone who buys that stock isn't going to see any growth for five to ten years because it's been sucked out by the people who pretended to be giving them advice. Yeah, it's I a, mean, it's that a disgrace. Whole, that whole hospital precinct, what they're selling out there, it's just... Yep. Bizarre, bizarre yep. stuff. Like it, I know that the Sunshine Coast took them 10 years to get back to the price they paid 10 years earlier. Perth now, you can buy for the same price that you bought in 2004. Yeah. Like, yep. let's pull that up on a satellite. Let's have a satellite view of this because it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, you look at the hospital precinct. So they're selling all that stuff around of it. But then you go west and, you know, pull it west, um, Aaron. Like, you have a look at all the land that's like that's just ready to be built on like how how is it when i you know i know when you buy a property the land value goes up not the actual building the building goes down in value the land value goes up mm. so if you've got an abundance of land 
like that ready to be built on, the chances of that going up in value in the next 10 years is nothing. That's why you want to be in densely populated areas. Yeah. Look, we probably slightly differ on some of that. But I think the key point is, is that you, like if it was easy, everyone would do it. And for people who are buying house and land packages, they're, you know, I say in a bigger estate, you want to be first in or last in. Because first in, they're trying to get pre-sales to fund the project, to get sales, to get popularity. Da, 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 get last in, you can cut a deal. Exactly right. I mean, all, all the profit for developers in the last bit. You, yeah. you go and make an offer on their last unit, that's or block of land or whatever it is, that's the yep. deal. And and I think that, you know, that you're right, there's plenty of land. Mm. Um, unfortunately, our bureaucratic planning system sees that, that, that even if we waved a magic wand, it would be forever to see a lot of that developed and there's bits that can't, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But... But certainly the cookie cutter approach to property investing or, you know, the, the, unfortunately negative gearing has become a negative term, but there's still ways that that can work okay. But it's not buying off a marketeer who's sucking 50 grand out of a deal, that's for sure. Yeah. So now you've got a, a quite a few. I've been watching quite a few Facebook posts go up there now doing adding value, doing bits and pieces, taking those 1960s, those beautiful yeah, um, good fun. ornate wallpaper ceilings and floors and changing yeah. them around. Yep, yep. I mean, you know, we're pretty similar in the type of properties that we do. You said at an event we were at together, we did the magic wand, and you said um, if you could wave a magic wand, you'd want everyone in the room to know that they're not broken. Yeah. There's more background than just that sentence. Well, I think, uh, look, I don't know if it's, uh, let's call it the spread of social media or, or just the... The spread of message, but you know, and and some might say it's the Instagram of there's a photo of someone on holidays and they look like they're having a wonderful time, but you know that's an image and there's there's nothing about what they're thinking at the time. So yeah, I, I just think that we all can well and truly overthink stuff, and and I go back to that um, that period, you know, again the lost decade I call it, but particularly that five year period where I was having to practice really hard on gratitude. So in our family, we have one little game that we do every day and it's the three high points. And it started in that dark period of my life where before I went to bed at night, so that I could get to sleep, I had to think about something that was good out of the day. Mm-hmm. And if you've had the shittiest day, don't tell me you can't come up with three yeah, things. And, and in our house, actually, if you grumble, and we do, then you have to do four, like <laughs> That's the punishment, right? <laughs> so you be careful not to grumble for a start. Yeah. And and that three thing could be having a chat with a friend. It could be, for me, if I go for a surf, dead set, I need an extra high point every day because surfing is always one for me. And even in dark days, it can be, you know, there's 8 billion humans that have lived and we're still here. We were born in Australia, you know, we were born with a social um, medical healthcare system mm. in Australia. Mm. Like you could just go on and on. The, the worst day you've had, there is always a bunch of other stuff that is better than yeah, that's other things. Gary V says, you know, you got if you've got nothing to celebrate or be grateful for, then that means you're the eighth billionth worst off person in this planet. Yeah. Because unless you're the eighth billionth, you you're the only one that can complain. And even then, that eighth billion is still alive. What about and, the dead ones? Yeah, and breathing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you've got a, I remember doing some research, I'm the boarding house guy, right? So doing search for boarding houses on the Sunshine Coast, fucking boarding rooms, is that what you call it? Boarding office. Boarding office. What the fuck is this about? Who's this guy? Oh, it's Keith. <laughs> Tell us about that business. So the commercial agency background, um, we managed old school serviced offices at various times th- through that business. And having owned commercial property, oh, there we are. Surfboards all over the place. There's a few boards there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so What's going on there? Are you? Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Oh, you're running marathons then or something? Was I looking a bit skinnier yeah. there? Yeah. Oh, I better do some work well, you're now. You're a vegetarian vegan or something. No, it's probably that, more that now than then. <laughs> it's probably just a good angle. I finished last night. Did you? Yeah. You're I done? Just, I can't do it anymore. Fair enough. I could just, too tired, not get enough nutrients. We call it flexitarian. Yeah. Right. So what that means is if we go out, we'll have some meat because they don't make good vegetarian. No. Whereas my wife kills it at home. Like, honestly, the vegetarian meals I have, you wouldn't oh, know the difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I, was vegan. I was vegan. So oh, yeah. I just wasn't getting nutrients, tried different ways to find, done all the research and everything. I just, I just couldn't get it right. And you know? the, the amount of energy you're expelling, particularly when you're running, you, yeah. you, that'd and be I, a delicate I, balance. I ran three right? marathons as a vegan, you know, and 
It's doable. But you might have beaten Joel if you uh, had some. Yeah. <laughs> Not a fucking chance. Not a chance. He runs way too quick. So, yeah, so you've set these officers up and they go good? Yeah. So her, Mel, my wife, um, before we met, she uh, had a business called Plush Photography. She was the biggest regional photographer in the country. Mm-hmm. Won a Telstra National Business of the Year Award. I give her right. a little plug. Yep. An, an amazing human. Um uh, I'm madly in love with her. And um, she needed new office premises. So commercial agency hat. I said, I'll find you something we found something that was um way too big and the owner lovely man his yugoslav he said i not spend any money <laughs> and i said what about that foyer he goes i not spend any money long story short we cut a deal with him to take the whole space and mel said well why don't you just put the board collection which was pretty modest at the time why don't you just put the board collection out of the back and we'll just use it as storage and then having owned commercial property and, you know, managed them before, I had a few mates that were looking for offices. So long story short, I said, I'll fit you out a section down there. That turned into 20 suites at Malulabar. Right. It was a bit like, you know, do half the fit out, do the whole fit out, you know, the, the mass you've done before. And as a good friend of mine who's in the surfboard side of things, he said, oh, it's a good storage solution. So, yeah, the boards are the decoration and are in the common spaces. And then in behind, there are 20 um, small suites about the size of, you know, a standard, standard kind of office, three by three, three by and four. So they, you rent them on hourly, weekly, no, daily? No, semi-long term is the best way to describe it. Yep. So um, everyone that's there has their own suite. They share the common facilities. And most the average stay is, you know, one to three years. But, but we're kind of designed to be a platform for small and medium business. So they can come in. We don't tie them up on long-term leases. We pay all the electricity, all of the internet, all that sort of stuff. So they literally have one bill from us each month outside of photocopying mm-hmm. and, and you know, they get access to a pretty large Do you operate office. out of there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've got an office in each one, so I kind of drift between the yeah. two. Because yep. you've still got a residential agency as well. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. Where'd you meet Melanie? We met at university doing our master's. Right. Yeah, in the in that. Uh, in so it's that the only fi- qualification you've got in that five year period. Well, yeah. other, other well, than the police. Yeah, uh, yeah. I suppose you call that a qualification. Yeah, I did. Uh, I well, I did arts, uh, arts law, and no, this- I said a qualification, man. Oh, qual- you mean getting you, 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 you put the word arts in there. There's no qualification in arts. Man. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so Fair arts enough. law, yeah. Yeah, yeah. arts law and uh, business degree to start with, and then yeah. Yeah, the Masters was good. I mean, other than the fact that I, I got a kick-ass wife out of it. It was worth uh, every cent. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Hex didn't charge me extra, though. <laughs> it's the same cost. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's not costing you. So, um, Quite the opposite. Yes. So uh, I suppose what would you what would, what would you say to someone that's 20 and someone that's 45 that has nothing in property? Well, the 20 might be easy because my daughter's 20. So when I married Mel, I got a two-for-one deal, best deal ever. And so I get to play dad with a with the daughter that I that I obviously didn't have beforehand. And she was 12 when we met. Mm-hmm. So she's at that phase. She's at uni doing um, uh, business and law double degree. The one thing that I suppose that I've said that might be a little unconventional and different to what I did is I said, don't rush to responsibility. Now, there's no doubt that having bought my first house at seven, uh, sorry, seven, at 17, and getting started on knowledge as well as started financially, there's no doubt that that was a huge benefit to me. And yet, if you draw a line at my early 30s when I go and start again, you'd say, well, the financial bit didn't matter. And it's the knowledge that allowed me to go again easier. So I'm like, you know, enjoy this while you've got it. While there is not necessarily a husband or a long-term boyfriend, while there's not kids, you know. Precious, yeah. yeah. So, so she did a gap year in the first year and ended up working in the business with us, mm-hmm. um, her choice. Then she did a second gap year and went travelling. And she's now third year out of high school, where she did very well. It's obviously Mel's genes. Well, I would have said... You know, she's got your brains, just no. not your genes. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, she definitely got Mel's. But, uh, yeah, third year and she's she's now at uni. So, so yeah, young person. You know, there's a lot of the time you hear do what's fun. I think that's good advice, but, it's like, there's no one liner, right? Like, the caveat is, well, it might be fun to lie on the beach, but, you know, What's it doing for you? Yeah, so I think you just got to find the balance between productivity and enjoyment, and mm. and then even if, like, you know, 
I've had some shit times and shit jobs in my life, as I'm sure you have. You can choose to enjoy it or find the positive bits. And and don't worry, I can be negative. Like, I have to work hard at positivity. Mm-hmm. So I think that'd be the sorts of lessons. And then that's how we've tried to bring Dana up. And, and uh, yeah, so far, so good. 45-year-old nothing? 45-year-old starting. We'll say that. Oh, I might go cliche there. And I'd say that, you know, there's, as you know, countless, countless examples of people who haven't got started till then. Uh, certainly you're at the peak part of your life in terms of kind of brain power to action. And there's a few people who might argue that that's different or demonstrate different, but, you know, it's certainly not too late. Like, well, what is it that you want you're to do? You're only really and, halfway through your life. That's right. And and Especially you're not even now. halfway through your working life technically. Yeah. yeah. So you just go, there's so much more to gain out of that. Yeah. I, I've got a few friends who are quite successful in what they do, either. Successful in, in oh, what they yeah. do in financially. Oh, no, that's a great point. I was going to say successful as in they hold a great position but hate the job yeah. or successful financially. Right. And, and if I use a simple example in property, I've got some friends who have or, or are, um, you know, project managers for big development type businesses and they're like, I want to get out and do what you're doing, Keith, because they think that I just surf all day, <laughs> right? Sure. No, and I, I, that, that, you I surf get, for part of the I day. I get sore arms. Yeah. I, all <laughs> I get sunburned. <laughs> but I, I, I say to them, you know, just be careful what you wish for. Like, you know, you're on 200 grand a year, like, you know, that's not a lot. Of, it, that's not a lot of worry to what you do. Yeah, if so, you're on two hundred grand a year working for someone else, you know, the problem like you could lose your job. Yes, yes. but you're getting you you're getting your four grand a week. Yeah, yeah. So okay, you want to go out and do something else? Then then make a plan for it. And because I I said this at the police academy back then, I didn't even know what I was saying. I'll still say it now that it's not what you earn; it's what you do with it. And, you know, look, you're, you're a huge advocate of this and all credit to you in terms of the, 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 the ridiculous overspend of a bunch of housing options that people live in. And, you know, we can go to cars. You know, The Millionaire Next Door is a great book that talks about, you know, car spend and, and yep. where wealth lies and stuff. But if indeed someone wants to go and do something different, then it's not like I've had enough of this job, I'm out tomorrow, walk away from my job and start again. And, you know, find a transition. So... For the 45-year-old, it would be, well, what is it that you want to do? Is there economics around it? Can you combine the both? What's the path out? And, mm. you know, work your way to it. Because I, I know that you can go through five or ten years of hell and reshape yourself. I know that you can change things. I know that you can you can make an improvement. I think the biggest benefit from your situation, my situation, is that it doesn't matter what – I've said this often and I don't want to draw any energy to it. But if I was to lose everything financially, I'd still be successful. I'd still be able to go in the middle of Australia and clean septic tanks and do use my knowledge from back then. Yep. And same, like you, your experience, knowledge, they, can't, they couldn't take that. They could take the bank could take the million dollars off you, and they could do all they want financially, but they couldn't take what what was in your brain away. Yeah. Experience. Yep. yep totally. That you know. Unless, um, unless it's a stroke, they're not taking the knowledge away, right? Mm. So um, I totally agree. And and it, if things were indeed that bad that you couldn't tick a few of those boxes, then I still go birth lottery. Yeah. Like, you know, m- my father was in his early 60s and, and, and he died of cancer, so we nursed him to his passing and he passed at home and it was a beautiful thing. Other than obviously Lost, the fact yeah. that he's passed. But, you know, my I said to Dad, we had lots of time to talk, whereas unfortunately with my mum it was sudden. She had a heart attack and she was in her 50s. And I said to Dad, regrets, changes, you know, we had all those chats. And he said, oh, no, I've had a beautiful life. He said, my only regret is that I'm leaving you and your sister behind and mm. I feel like I can still help. Yes. Like, At his age, yeah. do you want to help you? Yeah. I think that's something for me that's happened in the most recent years, that the realisation that your parents aren't around forever mm. and... Um, you know, I've, I've worked towards having more conversations, you know. came from a family where you didn't really tell, you, you didn't really say I love you. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've implemented that. Yeah, um, and, and And that's been reciprocal now, so, so which is pretty awesome. That might be the a bit of advice for the 45-year-old too. It's yeah. like, you know, like um, Mel's parents, uh, uh, they live in Germany, still with us. She talks to them every morning and I love it. That's awesome. Like... <laughs> 
Yeah. Look, I can't. And I say to people, to, you know, talk to, your, talk to your parents if you can. Yeah. Ask them all the questions that you might want to ask them and, and then ask them some more. Yeah. I love the sunscreen song. I don't know if you've ever heard the sunscreen song. Um, it was in the, I don't know, punch it up, um, boys, sunscreen song. It was, um, and it's got a whole, it's basically a guy talking through the middle of it, talking to the song. And, and there's one line in there is that um, basically saying that, you know, your friends come and go, but you know your family stays around forever. So yeah. you know, yeah. bridge the take the bridges that you can to be able to shorten up around the the, the the times of distance and make sure you contact and stay with people. So yeah, so that's the sunscreen song there. Everybody's free to wear sunscreen as a Baz Luhrmann um, production from oh, years okay. and years ago. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I forgot. Yeah, so, up, so worth worth the uh, worth the listen. Just listen to the words. Um, yeah, and I might add that for those. I tend to play devil's advocate on my thinking all of the time. And, and for those that, that don't have a close relationship with the family or don't have a family at all, then there's still other people. Absolutely. So, you know, there's some some guys that I know that are older than me. I mentioned Donnie Moffat before. He's a great friend of mine. Um, you know, I certainly wouldn't call him or others father substitutes, but there's some other people where you can still kind of seek that advice and, yeah. and all that closeness. And mm. so um, there's, there's always somebody. I think that's the... That's probably one of the greatest losses in my life that, you know, when I look at the amount of people I have around me that are really close to me, not that many of them, mm. and, and it's it's something that I'm working on. But what did Edison say? There's a great Edison quote, if you find that. It is, uh, he basically, he says something like, um, success in life is is the love the love and affection of um, of not a lot but just a few and those that are close to you. Yeah. It's a it's a fantastic. I actually read that poem. I'm embarrassed that I can't remember it. Uh, I read that at my father's uh, wake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Awesome, Mr. Grisman. Thank you for your time. Pleasure, mate. Good to catch up. Peace out, bro. Do we do the elbow? Thing? <laughs> Thanks for hanging around the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. We hope you enjoyed that and pulled out plenty of information that'll help you move forward. If you want to find out or listen to more podcasts, please subscribe, follow us on social media, or go to ianugate.com.au to find out much more about what we do. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. We hope we've succeeded in our goal to inspire and challenge you. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Small Talk Big Ideas with Ian Ugarte.